how it lights my path, how it guides my way. So we're reading from Luke chapter 12. Verses 13 to 34. Someone in the crowd said to him, Teacher, tell my brother to divide the family inheritance with me. But he said to him, Friend, who set me to be a judge or an arbitrator over you? And he said to them, Take care. Be on your guard against all kinds of greed. For one's life does not consist in the abundance of possessions. Then he told them a parable. The land of a rich man produced abundantly. And he thought to himself, what should I do? For I have no place to store my crops. Then he said, I will do this. I will pull down my barns and build larger ones. And there I will store all my grain and my goods. And I will say to my soul, soul, you have ample goods laid up for many years. Relax, eat, drink, and be merry. But God said to him, you fool, this very night your life is being demanded of you, and the things you have prepared, whose will they be? So it is with those who store up treasures for themselves, but are not rich toward God. And he said to, the, he said to his disciples, therefore I tell you, do not worry about your life, what you will eat, or about your body, what will you wear? For life is more than food. And the body is more than clothing. Consider the ravens. They neither sow nor reap. They have neither storehouse nor barn. And yet, God feeds them. How much more value are you than the birds? And which of you, by worrying, can add a single hour to your span of life? If then you are not able to do so small a thing as that, why do you worry about the rest? Consider the lilies, how they grow, they neither toil nor spin. Yet, yet I tell you, even Solomon in all his glory was not clothed like one of these. But, but if God so clothes the grass of the field, which is alive today, and tomorrow is thrown into the oven, how much more will he clothe you, you of little faith? And do not keep seeking what you are to eat and what you are to drink. And do not keep worrying. For it is the nations of the world that seek all these things, and your father knows that you need them. Instead, seek his kingdom, and these things will be given to you as well. Do not be afraid, little flock, for it is your father's good pleasure to give you the kingdom. Sell your possessions and give alms. Make purses for yourselves that do not wear out. An unfailing treasure in heaven, where no thief comes near and no moth destroys. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. Thank you, Lord, for Steve. Thank you for um, what he's prepared from reading your word. Thank you that your love uh, is abundant, as we can see, and you know everything that we need. But I pray that each one of us will have our hearts open to receive from you, to be ready to be instructed by your word, and that we are able to um, listen to your word and obey it, Father. I pray that you will give Steve, the, the right words and the, the right way of conveying the message that, that he's prepared. In Jesus' name, amen. Anybody here like bridges? 
Some, some bridges are, are fine. Some bridges, like in the centre of London, if you, if you need to get across Blackfriars Bridge or Southwark Bridge or Vauxhall Bridge, you don't even think twice about it. They're big, solid structures. They look like a road. There are buses going over them. You go over them with complete confidence uh, without even breaking a sweat. If you're going over a couple of other bridges in London when there's warnings that only one bus at a time can go over, maybe you begin to worry if you're driving a bus. But on the whole, you just get over this bus and go. I go over this bridge and go. But there are other bridges in the world that are slightly different to that. In the French Alps, there's a bridge that is 2,600 foot above sea level. Um, it's, sorry, it's even behind that. And it's, it's hundreds and hundreds of feet that drop from this bridge. And people walk across this bridge. It's not a, it's not a road bridge. People walk across this bridge with this sheer drop either side. But it's a substantial bridge. But it's petrifying. There are suspension bridges. There's a suspension bridge in Royal Gorge, Colorado, that's about 90 stories up from the ground. But it takes traffic. In County Antrim, in Northern Ireland, there's a rope bridge. Used to only have one rope across there and one handrail. The National Trust, now they've taken over, apparently put a second handrail in there to make people feel a bit more steady walking over that. It's about 66 foot long. It's about 100 foot above the, above the sea. And a lot of people walk across that bridge, but don't want to walk back again. I think one person has fallen off that bridge and lived to tell the tale. I think other people have fallen off it. So it's, it's not a pleasant bridge to walk across. There are other bridges that are more petrifying, that may not be so high above the ground, but are... You look at it and think, I am not going to walk over that. There's made, they're made of ropes. And the ropes look like, not just that they've seen better days, but they're frayed. And in one part, there's only one part of the rope. with The other bits of the rope just sort of hanging in the breeze. There are planks that are across the bridge for you to walk on. And there are several planks missing. And many of the planks look rotten. And you've got no evidence that anybody else has walked across that bridge. For some time, you haven't seen anybody else on the path. And there you are. It's you and that bridge and a drop. And are you going to walk on that bridge? I could build a bridge with this. I could build a bridge with this from the front of a pew to the back of a pew. Would you walk across that as a bridge? I'd give it a go. Even if it broke, I'm only going to fall that far. Nothing's going to happen. It's a balance sometimes between the risk and how safe we feel trusting the bridge. If you're going across a bridge like a traffic bridge across the Thames, you feel that there's no risk at all going across that. There's other places where you think this is highly risky, but walking across that, but nothing's going to happen. It's not a, a high-stakes thing. I'm not that worried. But it's at that point when you look at a bridge and go, I could die here. And looking at that bridge, I'm going to die here. I'm not going to cross that. That's what I want us to think about this morning. Crossing over bridges and when we decide to trust the bridge and when we decide not to trust the bridge.
This passage this morning is about seeking first the kingdom of God, but ultimately, under that, it's about trust. It's about trusting. Who do we trust? Where do we trust? Jesus was teaching his disciples. In verse 13, as he's teaching his, well, just before that, he's been teaching his disciples about how to be a disciple. So the whole of this section in Luke's gospel is about how to be a disciple. Jesus is walking to Jerusalem. The disciples are following Jesus to Jerusalem. And as Jesus is going to Jerusalem, he's talking about what it means to go towards our death. What it means to go towards what God has in store for us. What it means to follow Jesus going towards his death. What it means to be a disciple. And as he does that, the last couple of verses he's been telling them about how they can testify to Jesus. How they can testify to the Son of Man. And what will happen when they're under heavy persecution. And a man interrupts him. A man from the crowd comes. And someone in the crowd said to him, verse 13, Teacher, tell my brother to divide the family inheritance with me. Calls him teacher. It's a mark of respect. Calling him teacher means it's probably a Pharisee. His disciples tend to call Jesus Lord or Master. Pharisees tend to call him teacher. So it may well have been a Pharisee that's talking to him at this point. And he asks a question that's absolutely nothing to do with what Jesus is talking about. Jesus is talking about what it means to follow him, what it means to serve him, what it means to testify to him, what it means when the going gets tough. How do we be disciples in those situations? Excuse me, Jesus. Yeah, Can you tell my brother to share the inheritance with me? completely off tangent what's it about is the man talking about money well yes he is that's what he seems to share with Jesus but it's not really about that it's about the man's priorities it's about his attitude to God among other things and that's what I want us to think about this morning attitudes to God Jesus, in the light of that man talking to him, shares a parable. And both the man that interrupted Jesus, the Pharisee, and in the parable we see two attitudes toward God that are not good attitudes to have. And then thirdly, Jesus teaches us what's a good attitude for us to have towards God. So the first bad attitude that we can have towards God is an attitude where we try and manipulate God. Try and get God to do what we want inheritance has always causes trouble well not always but has always been a potential cause of problems within families who's going to inherit what and who the arguments amongst brothers and things it was so in the ancient world too in the ancient world in Jesus' day amongst Jews the law was that, the, that everything went to the eldest son unless the eldest son said that they would share it with their other brothers. So presumably this is a younger Pharisee coming to Jesus and saying, can you tell my brother that it's actually fair that we share the inheritance that we've received? Jesus, tell him that that's the right thing to do. That's the humane thing to do. That's the human thing to do. That's the responsible thing to do. That's the loving thing to do. We're brothers. We should share, shouldn't we? That's the right thing. And he calls upon Jesus to arbitrate in this. Jesus, will you make that decision? 
and tell us. So in some ways, that's a compliment to Jesus. I think Jesus saw it in the echoes in the passage of putting him in the situation that Moses was in, in Exodus chapter 12. Remember that story with Moses meeting the two Israelites who were arguing together and trying to arbitrate between them? And they said, who are you? And didn't want anything to do. I think Jesus sees the situation, or the situation is summed up in that kind of way. This is not a winning conversation for Jesus to be involved in. And Jesus rejects the man's request. He said to him, friend, who set me to be a judge or an arbiter over you? What's wrong with what the man is saying? I think there's a few things that we can think about, about what this man, this Pharisee is saying as he comes to Jesus. I think the first thing is, he's got these very polar approaches to things. I'm totally right. My brother is totally wrong. I think we can sometimes come to Jesus like that. I'm totally right. That other person is totally wrong. Jesus, help me to get my way in this circumstance. Help me to get what I want out of this. And quite often in arguments, quite often in disagreements we have with people, it's not quite so simple that one person is 100% right and the other person is 0% right. There's often a lot more complicated than that. And even when one of us is 100% right, we often build up such resentment, such anger, such bitterness, such negativity, such impatience toward the other person that the Lord looks upon and says, that needs to be dealt with. It's not entirely that you're in the right because you've built up all of these things within you. I think we need to guard against that as we come to the Lord. And it's easy to bear grudges against other people and come to the Lord as if we know that we're 100% in the right and asking the Lord to judge for us. Second thing I think this man does is he makes an assumption that Jesus is on his side. And why should Jesus be on his side in this? Why should Jesus take sides in this? Tell my brother, he says in verse 13, not please, teacher, Would you help judge in this situation? This is the situation I'm in. Please help judge it. It's no, no, no. Tell my brother to do because I'm entirely right. Take my side. And sometimes we can do that as we come to Jesus. The tendency to do that as we look upon our brothers and sisters. The church has often done this. The way that we take communion is the right way to do that. Tithing is a biblical thing. We should tithe. Although other people say, no, we shouldn't. Lord, tell those people who say that we shouldn't tithe that we should tithe. All sorts of situations where we do that as Christians. Assuming that we're in the right and assuming that Jesus and God is on our side and not on the side of the other person. He assumed that he had a monopoly on understanding Jesus. Only he really got where Jesus would be in this situation. And it was more straightforward. His brother hadn't really got hold of the right situation in this. He assumes that God is there, that Jesus is there to serve his needs as well. It's an easy move to make. Jesus cares about every situation that we're in. Jesus cares about all of our needs. That's true. We know that's true, don't we? We know that Jesus cares about every need that we have. But Jesus does not exist to fulfill every need that we have. 
He doesn't exist to be at our beck and call in our service. Lord, I have this need, provide it for me. Sometimes we can slip into that mentality. There's one thing to be trusting him for things. There's another thing to just be assuming, Lord, you're going to meet my need on this situation, in that situation. I think that's what the man was doing too. And as well, I think he was trying to manipulate God, manipulate Jesus into taking his side. But that's not what's needed. In situations like this, it's important that we approach the Lord with humility in our hearts. Trusting him, knowing that he cares for us, knowing that he cares for other people too. The Lord cared for the older brother, just like he cared for the younger brother. And as far as the Lord's concerned, I'm sure that it was far more complicated than just where the inheritance goes. It's the relationship between the two brothers that he cares about too. And he wants to see that mended. He wants to see that changed. And the Lord sometimes has, a, often has, maybe usually has a larger picture in mind. So it's coming to the Lord and saying, Lord, I bring this situation to you. Would you shed your light on it? Would you show me what I want to do? And would you bring a resolution to this? Would you bring the answer that is the right answer to bring in this situation, not what I'm telling you to do? I find sometimes in prayer, I don't know if you find that you do this, sometimes it's easy to tell God how to answer prayers. Lord, my friend, such and such, she doesn't like her job, so Lord, get her a new job. And Lord is thinking, that's one way around it. The other way around is, I happen to know that her boss is probably going to leave in six weeks' time and her job's going to be a heck of a lot better. She'll probably take her boss's job and she'll be really happy. So no, I'm not going to get her a new job in that place. Or I know that something else is going to happen, that she's going to, she's going to, I'm going to pour into her resources and strength and change her and encourage her and she will love her job and flourish. I'm not going to, but sometimes we come to the Lord telling him what he needs to do rather than coming to the Lord and saying, I bring this situation to you. Would you tell me what you want to do in that situation? You are the Lord. And I long to hear what you have to say to me. And for that younger brother coming to the Lord, it's been quite different to come to him and say, Lord, I've got this difficult situation. What's right here? What will be the right approach to take? Second thing I think that's critical about this, though, is I think... Jesus goes on to tell a story about this. He goes on to tell the story about another man. He told them a parable, verse 16. The land of a rich man produced abundantly, and he thought to himself, what should I do, for I have no place to store my crops? Then he said, I will do this. I will pull down my barns, build bigger ones, and there I will store all my grain and my goods. And I will say to my soul, soul, you have ample goods laid up for many years. Relax, eat, drink and be merry. Sounds like a course you can take online, isn't it? How to be ambitious and to increase your storehouses. How to get rich really, really quickly. How to make your dream amount of money. You should demolish your barns and build bigger ones. Why restrict your thinking? I can hear it today. The problem with this man, ultimately, is that he was living without God. Living, ignoring God. 
He was focused on his possessions, the material things he had. There's a theological term that covers these things. It's called stuff. The stuff that we own. We all like stuff. We have houses that's stuffed full of stuff. We just grab so much of this. We love it. and we, We embrace it and it helps our identity and helps who we are. And money was what he trusted. It was his security. I will be fine for year upon year upon year if only I can have bigger barns and get enough resources in there that nothing can touch me. I'll be safe. That's my security. That's a bridge I would happily walk over. So I'm going to rip down my barns and build bigger ones quickly. There's a person that will build them for me. He's fairly cheap, but he'll do a really good job. And I'll get them done before the time, up, the time is up. makes this assumption about so many things. He's not dealing with the necessities. He's dealing with excess, with abundance, with hoarding. More than he could possibly ever need, he's going to gather. And actually, in the ancient world, it's difficult for us to get our heads around this because this is kind of the mindset of our society. But especially in Jesus' society, That was completely outside of what was there. Within a local economy, his abundance was for everybody else in the village, not for him personally. It was a community thing. So abundance and excess is then given or sold to others that are around, not stored for him and for his personal use. But that's what he was thinking about how to keep things. Why? He trusts in stuff not trusting in God. When things get difficult down the road, I've got stuff in my barn. Rather than, when things get difficult, I've got the Lord. I don't know if you find yourself getting caught in a situation like that. The number of times that I've found myself in a situation where something goes wrong, something happens, and the first thing you think of is, I'll have to get a new one or I'll have to pay somebody to come in and do this rather than thinking, let's turn to the Lord about that and ask the Lord for his help in that situation. When we've got resources, you can often trust in those resources and rely upon those resources rather than be relying upon the Lord. And he was loving the things that he had. I think our world pushes us into trusting in things so much. Not just trusting in things for our provision for the future, but also trusting in things for our sense of identity and who we are. It's what advertising does to our brains all of the time. It tells us that you will only be the kind of person that you want to be if you use this toothpaste, drive this car, drink this beer, or wear this coat, or go on holiday to this place. That will be the kind of person that you are. Think about perfume adverts. If it makes any reference to what it smells, put this on and you'll smell nice. No, 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 no. It's, it's glamorous and it's, it's carefree and it's, it's just, you look at that and think, I would be just like that person if I put this perfume on. Really? But that's what the advertising does to your head. It makes you think that's what I would be. 
I would be this wonderful person if only I drive this car. No, you won't. You'll just be driving an expensive car and the same person that you are inside it. But advertising does that to us. It changes our sense of identity, not just to trust in things, but to base who we are upon stuff rather than upon the Lord. It's living without thinking about who the Lord is. And for this man, it was a crazy thing. I've got an abundance of crops and I'm going to trust in my own cunning and resourcefulness by building a bigger barn. Where did those crops come from? Who gave him those crops? Who provided the rain and the sun? It was the gift from God anyway. All that he has has come from God. And it's important that we recognise that everything we have has come from him. We can't live separate from God. We can't live ignoring him. And yet he was trying to do that. Ultimately, he's denying God. Jesus points this out at the end of the parable. But God said to him, you fool, this very night your life is being demanded of you. And the things you prepared, whose will they be? Because we can't live independently of God. We can't. We might try to, or we might assume to, but we can't. And there are subtle ways. And this parable is challenging because it points out the subtle ways. Of course there are people in the world who live without reference to God. But those of us who want to live our lives subject to the lordship of the Lord can find there are places in our lives where we are not. Does that make sense? There are places in our lives where we're trusting in something else, not trusting in God. And the call of the Lord upon us is to trust in him. He had an abundance, and it was easy to trust in that abundance. And for us, we can have an abundance and trust in that abundance. Abundance of something that we have in our lives, whether that's friendship network or whether that's wealth or whether that's anything we have. It doesn't say that having money is wrong. It doesn't say that having wealth is wrong. It doesn't say that having a good friendship network is wrong. They can be good things, but it's our attitude towards them that matters. Are we trusting them? Is that where our security and safety is placed? Or is it somewhere else? I hear you though. Okay, okay, okay. That, that, that's not me. I am not someone with an abundance of stuff. I'm someone that day to day struggles to have enough stuff to keep living. I'm someone that every day I get up, especially with the world as it is now, especially with everything that's happened over the last few years and, and the wars that are happening and the pandemic that's happened and, and what's happened to the economy. For so many of us, it is difficult to even have everything that we need to live, not in abundance, I'm not talking about the amount of food that I put in a barn. I'm talking about, is there enough food to go on my plate for lunch today? Maybe even enough, money, enough food to go on my plate for my children today. Forget about me. And that's the situation that many of us are in. Then how does living focused on stuff rather than God have anything to do with me? Well, Jesus goes on to talk about that. Because sometimes a focus on stuff 
cannot be how we trust in stuff, but in how we constantly worry about stuff. And how we're constantly anxious about stuff. How we're constantly worried about where I'm going to live. How we're constantly anxious about the food that I have. And are we worried and are we anxious? And Jesus says three times, 22, 25, 26, about this. He said to his disciples, Therefore I tell you, do not worry about your life, what you will eat, about your body, what you will wear. Verse 25. And can any of you by worrying add a single hour to your span of life? 26. If you're not able to do so small a thing as that, why do you worry about the rest? And it's worrying. Worrying about the basic things in life. Jesus says, don't worry. Why? Because sometimes the cause of our worry, because we're not actually trusting in God. It's down to me and I don't have the resources for that and forgetting that God will provide for us and God will care. And we're anxious and worried about it because we've written God out of the equation. Does that make sense? God isn't part of that equation. And because of that, we get worried. And because of that, we get scared. Now I know that anxiety has many different roots. For some of us, we struggle with anxiety because it's a mental health issue that is plaguing our minds. We're not well because we have anxiety. That's somewhat different. For some of us, we have anxiety because it's a habit that we've got into of getting more and more worried. Some of us, we've got anxiety because our parents were always anxious and taught us to be anxious. But God doesn't want any of us to be anxious. God wants us to be set free. And for some of us, it's not directly because we are not trusting in God. It's because something else is happening. Because something has messed with our minds and because something an illness has settled upon us. And of course, that is true. And the Lord wants to deal with that illness. But sometimes the anxiety is because we're not looking to the Lord and not trusting in him. And anxiety only makes things worse. It turns a situation when you don't have food into a situation when you feel anxious about it. You've still got no food because being anxious didn't suddenly get you food. But not only have you got no food, but now you're not sleeping and now you're worried and now you've got headaches. And now you're grumpy and now your relationships are breaking down. Does that make sense? Never adds anything being anxious. Anxious just takes things away and makes things worse and makes things harder. And it paralyzes us and cripples us and stops us from being able to function in life. And the Lord is saying to us, Do not be anxious. Trust me. Trust me. This is a scary bridge. This is one of those bridges that I was telling you about at the beginning. This is a scary bridge to cross at the moment. You're looking at a bridge where there's a sheer drop because there isn't enough food. There isn't anywhere to live. There's this situation that is making us anxious and there's this massive drop. But I tell you what, that bridge that you're going to cross over is firmer than Southwark Bridge. It's firmer than London Bridge. You can trust it entirely and it doesn't matter what the drop is. You can trust the Lord in that situation and step over that bridge and trust him. Does that make sense? You can trust him and not be worried. 
want to say to you this morning that if you are plagued with anxiety and worry, we want to pray with you. I want to pray that the Lord will lift that off. That we can begin to set good habits in place of trust and trusting in the Lord for situations. Praying with other people about specific things that need to happen. and Begin to take those steps. Crossing a bridge happens a step at a time. You don't go over immediately. And dealing with anxiety in our lives is a step at a time. A cautious step. But as you take that step and it doesn't give under you, you can take another step. And then you can take another step. And you can take another step and find that you're in the middle of that bridge and it isn't going anywhere. Setting up habits and patterns in our lives that can break those cycles. And of course, for some of us, we need to get professional help with this. And some of us are getting professional help with this. But at the same time, we need to pray that the Lord will lift this off us. Third attitude I want to talk about is having the right attitude to the Lord. And I'm sure you know where we're going with this. It's the flip side of the other things that I was talking about. What the Lord is also calling us is to live under the reign of God. Seeking first the kingdom of God. We say that often, but really what does it mean? What does it mean to seek first the kingdom of God? Jesus calls upon his disciples to seek first the kingdom of God. Instead, strive for his kingdom, it says in my translation here. And these things will be given to you as well. What does it mean? What do we mean by the kingdom of God? The kingdom of God is not really a place to go. So seeking first the kingdom of God doesn't mean going home, pulling up the British Airways website and going, flights to kingdom of God, please. It's not a place we go and buy a ticket to. It's not a place that we, we find where it is and go there. It's not here in church. It's not coming here that's the kingdom of God. The kingdom of God is, is more about the activity of God. It's more where God's rule and reign is expressed. The kingdom of God is where God is reigning. It's, it's the kinging of God. It's the reigning of God. It's the place where God is ruling and reigning. So seeking first the kingdom of God is talking about seeking first God's ruling and reigning in our lives. Seeking first God ruling in our lives and in everything around us. Does that make sense? So it's talking about seeking to be obedient to him and have him as our Lord and as our God. And that's about trusting him. I just wonder where you are trusting God at the moment and where we need to, whether it is for money and for food, for housing, for a job, for relationships, for family, for health. All of us have this place where at the moment the only thing we have is to hold on and trust God. And seeking first his kingdom is saying that I want to see your rule and your reign brought into that part of my life. I want to see your rule and your reign brought into all of my life. And I hold that thing before you and say, Lord, would you help me in that situation because I want to seek first you more than I want to seek a solution to that problem. Knowing that you will help me with that situation. And when we do that, anxiety begins to lift off us because we can trust in the Lord. There are stories. Jesus tells stories. He tells the story of the raven and says the raven doesn't go hungry. Raven, in, in biblical understanding, is a, 
is, is, a, is a mysterious bird in some ways. It's, it's an unclean bird that feeds on dead things that it happens to have found lying around. But it doesn't go hungry because God makes sure that it's fed. And the wild flowers of the field, they're beautiful. Look at them and they're provided for. Christian story this morning. Where is he? He's over here. Christian story this morning. Stories like that remind us that God does things and comes into situations and changes them. We've all got stories and remember things that God has done in our lives or we've trusted him. And those things help lift anxiety and pressure off from us. There are so many things in our lives that we have no control over whatsoever. There are things that we cannot control. Being anxious gives us no more control over them than we had before. It doesn't help solve it. It doesn't help make it better. Do you know what? The Lord has control over them. The Lord can protect us. The Lord can help us. The Lord can lift us through. So placing him first can lift anxiety off of us. And as I said, it doesn't happen immediately. It doesn't happen completely. But it happens step by step as we trust him. Living in God's way. Verse 20 is a difficult verse. Nope, it's not verse 20. Is it verse... So God clothes the grass of the field, which is alive today, and tomorrow is thrown into the oven, verse 28. And how much more will he clothe you, you of little faith? Do not keep striving for what you are to eat and for what you are to drink, and do not keep worrying. For as the nations of the world that strive after these things, and your father knows that you need them. Actually, it may not be the best way to translate it in verse 29, where it says, do not keep striving for what you eat and what you are to drink, and do not keep worrying. Not perhaps the best word to use in that situation. The word that's being used there is one that often means being unstable. Uh, is a word that can be used of a ship that's being thrown around in the sea. Uh, so what it's saying is, do not be unstable ones. Thrown around from doubt to belief to doubt to belief. Do not keep striving for what you are to eat and to drink. And as you do that, be those people who are thrown around at one minute believing and one minute not believing. But be people who put first God and find stability under your feet that isn't going anywhere. The Lord is a firm bridge and a strong bridge. He isn't a bridge with frayed rope and missing planks. He's a firm and solid bridge. And then we're to live God's way and seek the kingdom. Live with Jesus' radical agenda. Jesus' radical agenda is to give where we can give and to be abundant in doing that, to be generous where we can be generous, to support others, to give alms, as Jesus talks about. Not investing money in safe places that we think are safe, but investing money in the ultimate safe place in heaven by sharing with others and by blessing others and by doing what God is calling upon us to do. By being the kind of people that are just like God so that as his reign is expressed in our lives, What we have is shared with others. 
Does that make sense? Let's pray together. Lord, you know how for many of us this morning, placing trust in you and putting you first in our lives is difficult in certain places in our lives. We pray this morning that you would shine your light into our lives and help us to see those places where we aren't actually trusting you at this moment, but we're trusting in something else. Where we haven't placed you and your concerns first in our lives, but something else is taking that place. We ask, Lord, that you would speak to us about that this morning, to each of us, because we want to make you Lord of our lives in every part of our life. To have you as our Lord and Master and to trust you and not other things. And Lord, for those of us who are in need, for those of us who have a situation where we need you to come, Lord, we bring that situation to you this morning and pray, Lord, will you come and help us in this situation where we're in? Show us what you want us to do and bring your solution and your help and your sustaining to us in that place. We want to trust in you to be men and women who trust you to provide us with all that we need. And we trust you as the ravens and trust you as the flowers of the field to provide for us what we need, Lord. Lord, where anxiety is pressing in upon some of us this morning, we pray that you'd set us free, liberate us, release us, Lord, and help us to trust you and teach us, Lord, how to, how to follow after you. Set us free, we pray. Come by your Holy Spirit, we pray this morning. And come into our lives, we ask, Lord, and set us free. Set us free. In Jesus' name. Amen. Let your living word abide in me so richly as I abide in you. Let your living